0: Welcome to Project OI Podcast, a no-frill show where we discuss about the future of
1: education, training, and human ability. Because the ideas we discuss here today will help shape our society of tomorrow. To learn more, visit oiedu.co.uk. Project OI Podcast is registered under O'Turman's Institute and encourages credible discussions on the future of education, training, and human ability. The views presented by guests are their own and does not represent the views of the registered organization or its members. New episodes are out on oiedu.co.uk and other streaming channels every fortnight.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Project OI podcast, where we discuss the future of education, training, and human ability. I am Dev Aditya, your host. The Hungry Lab is a global online platform empowering the next generation of innovators and problem solvers through its online Reschool for the Future, Social Enterprise Incubator, and Rethink Tank to harness emerging tech for good. Today we have, as our guest, its founder, Bian Lee, who is an entrepreneur, global speaker, and most importantly, a futurist. She is a believer in the power of community and conversations in finding common ground, Bian has also created various thought leadership platforms through the Hungry Lab, including the popular Startups to Save the World Global Innovation Roundtable series and the Hungry Talk series. In her previous life, she was also an investment banker. But today we have her here because of her big understanding of the human development and upskilling space. So, welcome to the show, Bian.
0: Dave, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
2: No, the honor is absolutely ours. And uh, to actually bring some context to this, how long ago was it now, about a year when we first spoke on phone when, when I was in India, I think?
0: Yes, we connected about a year ago. It's crazy how much time flies, especially in such a crazy year as 2020.
2: Definitely. And it, it really flies. And since you brought up 2020, let's talk about earlier this year when we were, I think, a bit more in touch during what I call the mega lockdown of India. And I just had to bring it up because I'm speaking to you right now from London, which is also in lockdown.
0: Which is going through another curfew and more restrictions in the second wave.
2: Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So it's really a fabulous time. It's an exciting time, I would say, because I'm an optimist. But boy, have we had a year. For those of you who don't know, both Bian and myself fly into India a lot because of our work in the upskilling and reskilling space but we actually live in the US and UK respectively. So Bian, why don't you tell us a bit more about your experience of when you were in India this time around?
0: Yeah, so like Dev said, I spend a lot of time in India for work, but this particular trip was very interesting. I flew into India at the end of February, I was speaking at a conference and then I was uh, meeting with some of our university partners and other strategic partners here. And then I think that was around mid-March when the Indian government announced the national lockdown, no flights in or out. And so I was stuck and I I had not anticipated staying in India that long, but uh, I ended up being there for seven months and finally leaving at the end of September. In between, there was um, a lot of changing rules and regulations about you know, air bubbles and, and what countries were available to fly between India and, and airline policies were changing. And so it was quite an interesting time to, to witness that in India and seeing how the you know, various different parts of the country were managing it. I was in Kerala, and Kerala, the government was uh, on top of it from the beginning. They were doing very well compared to um, other places, even the U.S., for example, which was very laggard in its response. And and so, and being there and and seeing the need and the demand for digital content and online education, and seeing COVID rapidly transform education so quickly when before people were saying, oh, we need to go online and we need to do this. But COVID immediately forced people to do what they had been wanting to do for years or been um, hesitant to do for years. And being able to be a part of that transformation to help schools, to help teachers. We did a lot of training. We taught over in just four months, we taught over 2000 students with the very partnerships and groups that we were working with. And we realized positively that there was such a hunger for understanding more about what this impact meant for the post-COVID future and how do we reimagine a better future because COVID laid bare a lot of the systemic and social and economic inequalities of the system that did not serve many people. And so that was a critical conversation that I'm glad we had. And then your book really helped with that as well. And so there, you know, it was an interesting time to to witness that. And especially for me, obviously in a sensitive situation, not wanting to rock the boat and and, and be seen too much. And so staying inside. And but overall, it 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 was. I felt I felt like a fly on the wall. You know, I, I think everyone uh-huh. felt sort of like a social anthropologist observing <laughs> the world <laughs> and and what was going on and how people behaved in times of panic and 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 in crisis and misinformation and 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 so many people doing great work and and so many good people wanting to help others and and so and it was it was yeah quite interesting, definitely will have lots of stories to tell. And I'm sure you you have the same experience as well.
2: Yeah. And to be honest, I I really love uh, the phrase fly on the wall, because uh, I just thought about my own time in India. And uh, I can actually see through that lens. So that's quite uh, funny, but surreal as well. And God, seven months for you, because I thought for me, it was uh, long uh, in itself. And I did about five months in India, unplanned. So that must have been quite an experience we had. But coming back to one of the very important points that you raised about, you know, the sudden acceptance of online education, we ourselves being in that space as well, we really uh, found that to be true. And it's not only because institutions had to do it, it was almost like a kick in the backside, like you either do it or you don't. But it was also the acceptance and you suddenly had an acceptance from A grandmother in India who previously would have looked at online education as substandard to, hey, that's something that my grandson or grandnephew has to do. And this acceptance, given the family uh, values that we have in India and the structure that we have, I think also played a role in, you know, this penetrating and I would say permanently penetrating into the Indian psyche now. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Oh yes, absolutely. And one good thing about Indian and you know, I'm I'm from Chinese culture growing up. Even though I grew up in the U.S., yeah. a, a lot of that got influenced from parents. That education is very important. So, so Indian um, and Asian, other Asian parents uh, are very willing to invest resources, mm-hmm. time, money into their child's education. And so, with this, we have seen the edtech industry. Completely boom! More and more edtech startups are popping up to satiate the demand in this space, and now and now parents are starting to be more open-minded about the types of curriculum that their students uh, children are learning. For so, for example, there in the past, what I've seen is a lot of parents are very rigid about yes. they have to be tutored in these subjects because these are the uh-huh. subjects they will be tested on. And if yeah. they don't get tested, they don't get good grades, they won't get a good job and they'll fail in life. Right. That was the the, the old attitude. <laughs> yeah, and,
2: exactly. And, yeah.
0: and now we're seeing even though there's still the the, that the former attitude is still very prevalent. We're starting to see a growing number of especially middle class educated parents That's see that there are other classes and courses outside of the curriculum that would better benefit the child. For example, coding right? And now we're seeing, um, or soft skills, right? Soft skills yes. are very important. And so that is very good in terms of the evolution and the awareness of, of parents and their level of consciousness of, if, of how to actually nurture a human being in a, yes. in a way that makes them well-rounded and not just make them good at taking tests, but nothing in real life, right? And, and yep. you know, so we're seeing that transition happen. Obviously, we the reason why you and I do the work that we do is to increase that acceleration and to expand more awareness and, and more minds. But it's good to see that during these, this past year, that awareness accelerated more or that acceptance from parents really, really helped that. Now, I've also seen the other end where now there's a competition amongst parents of like, you know, he <laughs> like, oh yeah. coded and got a job at Google when he was 12 years old, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you see a lot, I'm not going to name any names of ed tech companies, but you see mm-hmm. a lot of that pressure now that parents are saying, you know, so, so parents have to be very conscious about not tilting too much to the other side. Right.
1: Yes, And, yes.
0: and, and so obviously this is a time of transition and, uncertainty for everybody and people are trying to do the best they can with what they have yes. and it's about being open-minded enough to grasp the information and understanding and wise enough to know how it applies to your child's situation right every child is different so yep. now children want to do poetry and that's totally fine right yes and yep. so and and so so that those are some of the the observations from a very, you know, familial level of of what we're seeing, and that and that family type of dynamic between parent and student is you know can be aggregated, and we can make a lot of sense in terms of the larger macroeconomic statistics and the indicators that are leading us to make sense of, of what's to come. And, yep. and and so yeah. So those are some of the the initial uh, observations there in terms of the education part.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, a number of things directly click with what we have observed as well. And I really love that. Come, you know the. Piece about parents being competitive with their children. And we've actually had that uh, traditionally in India all along. And again, as you said, in Asia all along. And if it was not for, for the child to get a job in Google at the age of 12, it was about how much marks they scored or how they, how well they did in the elocution competition or my child knows how to play the piano. And and this, this competitive thing is always there. But if we had, had to actually talk about this boom of ed tech and these companies, and I'll actually uh, take a uh, name of a company as well, not in, in a very generalistic way, but just to give an example. Byju's, which yep. is obviously the the largest tech company in the world at the moment, they recently took over a company called White Hat Junior, yep. and that's that's all about you know empowering students uh, through coding and learning coding from a very young age. Yep. My only question uh, with regards to this is. What we were talking about that a student should be allowed to become a painter or a poet. A student should really learn soft skills and the other skills. Do you think that the ed tech companies in India are still actually fueling that competitiveness? Because Baiju's is actually in the K-12 sector where, or in the competitive exam sector and White Hat Junior is also sort of built around competition to make the uh, child more, uh, you know, tech savvy from a young age. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yes, there is definitely a significant component of that. Very much driven by, you know, my child needs to not not necessarily be better than your child, but my child needs to be the best and excel and get the best marks, right? And yep. and uh, so it's helping children learn in a different way, which is good because not, uh, you know, most children don't learn by the traditional rote learning memorization of what the child, uh, the teacher writes on the board. Right. But yeah. it's also is it asking the question, does my ch- child want to learn this or am I forcing them to learn maybe in a fun, funner way, but it's still learning a subject that they don't care about or they know that they're not really going to use in the future, right? Is it, yeah. is it still learning in a, in a more entertaining way, but still learning to take a test to get good marks? Right.
2: Yeah. And I think that again, comes back to the culture of the place because technology is doing a lot. COVID did a lot in terms of changing, but that, that you know, that inner culture will still be there. And I'll give you another example, again, not naming anybody, but I don't know if you know, By juice as a business model has sales agents and they, they go and speak to parents yep. when they pitch the product. Now I was in Bihar and we do a lot of work in Bihar to upskill students with soft skills and things like that. So when I was in Bihar, I even had an experience where the father sort of slapped the head of his uh, son because uh, in that little exercise that they do during that, uh, the pitch to the parents, the son was not, you know, really speaking up to the Baiju's people. And that was also from a very competitive point of view. And he, uh, the father was like, I don't think I'm going to pay this for my child if he can't even speak up in front of you. So it's this culture as well, I think, uh, that needs to uh, maybe perhaps have a shift. And what are your thoughts on uh, how that shift can happen?
0: Wow. Do we have 10,000 hours (laughs) 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 on this podcast? (laughs) Uh, Because there's so many layers to that, right? Yes. Um, There is the individual layer. There is the uh, parent-child dynamic. There's the societal pressure. Right. There's mm-hmm. layers. So let, let's start very simply with the parent. Most people, most adults are, tr- well, everybody's trying to do the best they can and trying to do better than what their parents did for them. Right. Every yeah. generation is just trying to do better than the previous generation. That's a fact. Yep. Now, that being said, still m- many parents have not resolved their own inner issues, insecurities, you know, trauma from their past, and they end up, when you're not healed, you end up projecting that onto your loved ones, and you end up projecting your dreams and failures and unachieved wishes onto your child, right? Mm -hmm. See Mm -hmm. your child as just an extension of you versus a whole, magical, individual, unique human being with their own hopes and dreams. Yes. And that happens in a lot of Asian cultures where the children are viewed as independent unique beings with their own hopes and dreams and that parents are just stewards to guide this magical into adulthood but rather the the culture is seen you know this is common across many cultures around the world seen as you are an extension of me you do what uh, i tell you because i know best because i birthed you
2: yeah yeah tell me about it yeah
0: and so so children feel like you know I, I think I, I I don't remember if we've talked about this but the NASA did a very famous study with the renowned educationist Ken Robinson who very recently of late and 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 he and so the, the study was following about sixteen hundred young people from the ages of like two to the age of thirty yes and they tested creative genius in these children. So,
2: Yep. We actually use this in OI as an example, but, but please go ahead for the audience. Please continue.
0: Yeah. So, you know, from very young age, from like age two to four, about 98% of those children tested for creative genius, right? Yep. Every progressive, like every five, 10 years, when they redid the test, a lesser and lesser percentage tested for creative genius by the time they were 30 years old the same group of 1600 children only two percent
2: two percent yep
0: tested for creative genius so what does that mean it means society and school and family has taken the genius out of the child yep or suppressed it right yes and when that genius when our genius is suppressed that's essentially suppressing our essence our reason our, our our soul our reason for being our life's mission and that's why so many adults walk around like zombies right because we aren't meant to sit in cubicles you know doing excel spreadsheets from 9 to 5 right and exactly. and, and, and and then that's why we have midlife crisis that's why we take exactly. it out on our own children that's why yep. right and yep. and so Knowing that parents have not completely dealt with their own baggage is a big thing. And that's why I keep saying that the future is the future of being when you are whole and content with yourself and know why you are here. Right. Mark Twain used to say there's there's two. A man has two birthdays. Right. The day you were born, the day you you, uh, find out why. Yes. And most people don't. And so, not to get all metaphysical or existential, but that is essentially at the root, root, root. If you go several layers deep, the root, 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 yes. root cause of it is parents are hurting and they don't know how to. They're just trying to do their best, but they have not been shown alternative methods. And they also are, are are flawed human beings dealing with a flawed societal system and societal pressures and a flawed economic system, right?
2: Yep. And and and, and And we fully agree with that. So actually, let's guide that because obviously, this is going into a very deep conversation, uh, which is a very long one. So I'm going to guide that out to two smaller parts to continue this conversation. If we had to talk about two essential skills, not one, not three, but two essential skills that parents ought to, you know, think about training, teaching or encouraging their children to do now with whatever you have said and with the realization that we now have, what would they be?
0: ask questions, learn to learn, and go within yourself.
2: Okay, fantastic. Self-awareness.
0: And I say this is the future. You know, we have STEM, right? And now STEM has turned into STEAM. The next generation of STEM is, you know, the acronym that we've been using is Mm -hmm. uh, self, right? self Mm -hmm. skills. T, you still need technology. So T for technology. Mm -hmm. E for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because even though you might not create your own business, the skills you learn from entrepreneurship, like innovation, problem solving, team work, those are very important in no matter what you do in life. Right.
2: Yes. And yes.
0: M is making mm. and not necessarily like you have to build a physical thing, but making yes. meaning for your life and that we go deep there, but essentially the meaning, the, the making of your life, and having the audacity to know that you have agency over your life. You are the creator of your own life, not what your parents want, not what your teachers mm-hmm. want. But you have the agency to make for yourself mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. meaning you want in your life. That is the best empowerer. And that is the, the, the skill to know to stand in your own power and to, realize mm-hmm. to have that right and audacity to dream. So yeah. self, technology, entrepreneurship, and making. Now, if, now, to go back to your question again, I don't want to put yep. all the onus on parents. I want parent, yep. parents, the awareness is important because they are the biggest influence in their children's lives, right? Not the mm-hmm. teachers, but yep. the parents. Now, but the thing is, parents wouldn't be also acting this way if they did not have external pressures, which is why we're doing so much work and raising awareness to change how society thinks about what success means. Parents are mm-hmm. competitive because of society's benchmarks. If we mm-hmm. change the benchmarks, we've changed the definition of success. We change the definition of failure. Then perhaps mm-hmm. now just like give ourselves a break.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and maybe just relax and 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 chill and 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 take a breath. And and so and that that if we put the pressure off the parents and off the students by redefining how these children grow up to participate in the economy. Yes. Then we start seeing that shift, that natural shift. Right. Yep. Right. If I'm studying to take a test and the teacher says, "Okay, these are the criteria for the test. Otherwise, you will fail. Obviously, I'm going to study for that and get the pressures and all that. But if suddenly the teacher says, oh, oh, by the way, the test parameters have failed instead of having to do 100 page essay on blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to, you know, let you uh, explore whatever subject you want and come back and, and tell, tell us more about the subject and, and blah, 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 blah. Then Thanks. I can breathe and then I can say, OK, well, I don't need to kill myself pulling three, you know, three week all night, you know, all nighters for three weeks in a row to cram. Yes. And then I can do what I love to do and what I'm good at. And then I can teach my peers and come back and be an expert in this subject.
2: It's so true. And that's something we push on in our work as well, especially in the more rural schools, because for us, I think... The main focus is for children to think on their own, the children to think for themselves. And we have seen children who don't even, you know, tend to speak out when we uh, first meet them and they tend to be shy and, you know, hide behind pillars. Go to the extent of talking for three minutes in front of a crowd without a piece of paper about the importance of planting trees, about the problems associated with climate change even. Uh, and last time, uh, there, there's one of one of our favorite students, I would say, who is a first-time learner from this village, a remote village in a national park in Uttarakhand. And I saw a video of her because the principal really liked us. Uh, he sent a video of her doing an entire poem in French. And that's because uh, even the school itself is it's not really built around a set syllabus. It's built around exploring and creativity and for the children to do what they like so they are never told that you have to do two hours of maths a day no they are allowed to do what they like and then you see these groups of uh, children young children who are either good at sports or good at science or good at acting and all of them are really good for their age especially look at the fact that they are actually first-time learners and probably they're the only learners in that entire community right yeah
0: Yep. And, and so, and studying and learning are two different things, right? You can study for 10,000 hours straight and not learn a single thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, and, and so that, that, that is why changing the expectations and the criteria by which we are judged will, whether it's a school level, a family level, or a society economic level, right? Yep. So uh, there's a famous, uh, so, you know, Bhutan, right? The country has measures, gross national happiness,
2: exactly yes
0: right that's a natural me- national metric the the late robert f kennedy junior uh, of the us yeah. he he said you know he gave this famous speech at the university of kansas in the 1960s about how we have lost the meaning of the economy. We measure on GDP, on mm-hmm. g- amount of guns produced, on amount of weapons produced, amount of all of these things. But we don't measure, you know, the the strength of our marriages. We don't measure the uh, intelligence of our children. We don't measure all, all of this stuff that is uh, what actually makes a society. We don't, you know, and and that is, I'm paraphrasing him here, and that mm-hmm. we we are measuring everything except what, makes a society meaningful. And and so if we can change that measurement, then yes. people will naturally step to that new rhythm. They will naturally then adjust themselves. Why are we running crazy in debt, working and killing ourselves with all of these jobs to pay rent, to do this? Because we're doing it because we are stuck in the system. If the system changes, then then we change.
2: Definitely. And I think there is a silver lining here. For instance, you you must definitely be aware that Dalai Lama recently opened some new curriculum uh, for the Delhi State Education Board, where they are having a happiness lesson as well, which I think is a very big step for that part of the world. And also now we have the new education policy in that part of the world, which is coming up and trying to really rig and uh, shake things up, which I think is very encouraging. But moving on from that, of course, we've talked about the societal issues and uh, we've also talked about the skills. But what do you think would be very interesting ways, new ways of learning for children? For instance, we tend to think that gamification can be a good model. What are your thoughts?
0: Gamification definitely, even adults. Any the human mind is naturally suited for gamification, right? You're you're connecting mm-hmm. over the executive functioning of that brain, stimulating lots of creativity, all of that. So yep. naturally, yes, because of just how neuroscience works. Yes, um, and and obviously we know that people learn more information when they're engaged and they're having fun, and it's less being lectured at, right? Another yep. thing is what we found is so. At The Hungry Lab, we say we work with the seven S's. The seven S's meaning groups that are empowering the future, making the brighter future. So those are startups because they're the innovators and change makers. Social uh-huh. entrepreneurs because they connect cause with solution. A small uh-huh. business because they're still the economic engine for most economies. Students uh-huh. because of the next generation leaders. Scientists because they you know are, do so much important work for the world. Now, uh-huh. if you take those and, and, and actually think about it. It's not just the groups of folks we work with. It's the types of hats and mindsets that every single person needs to wear at one point or yep. another. Right. Yeah. And, and be able to have those different types of cognitive functionings and understandings when, you know, when I'm in a student and approach the same subject from different, these, these different hats. Right.
2: I yep, I love that actually because even in my career, I think the one of the first lessons or trainings that was given to me that I still uh, keep very close to my heart is you know being able to think from different hats. You know how can you shift from one hat to the other, and I think that's a that's I think that's a fundamental thing that should be taught to all children
0: right exactly i see this problem okay how do i solve it okay if i were a student i must learn right about as much about the subject so i know i have a baseline to start off with right if i must then like a startup okay then how can i actually make a solution for this that can work in the real world and be sustainable um i i have to think like a scientist because i have to experiment and and trial and error right and and Mm -hmm. and and see you know all that so all of these things form a holistic view of how uh, a f- holistic method of developing your brain to be well-rounded and to excel in a future of uncertainty and external ab- ambiguity. When you can hold ambiguous thoughts, multiple ambiguous thoughts in your own head and be comfortable with it because you know the different hats you're wearing to to, to view those and those different lenses, then you're yep. going to be okay with anything the outside world throws at you.
2: Brilliant. I, I think that was... Just put perfectly, I couldn't have put it any better. And for all our listeners out there, if you really like the 7Ss, if you like the idea of HATS, please go to the Hungry Labs website, sign up to get their updates, join their community, because I think it'll be very helpful. And they have regular updates with a lot of these things that can directly benefit you or at least can benefit somebody else. Because... I believe uh, the best way of spreading knowledge is when you speak to others, when you believe in it. But coming back to that point uh, and to the previous points, Bian, I will bring up a quote that you had said uh, some time back. And uh, I'm not sure if you said this before COVID hit or not, but I just want uh, to understand why you said it and its implication today. And the quote is, the global schooling system is trying to move online at various different paces but it's playing checkers in terms of the overall strategy, whereas the future is already here and it's actually playing chess.
0: Yes. Yep. I said that actually when I was in Trivandrum and during lockdown and I was uh, speaking on a panel about the future of education. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and that's very true. We are still very much our brains and yep. naturally process in a linear fashion for most people, Right. Uh-huh. I'd say if you look at a bell curve, most people think linearly. That makes sense because in mo- for most people, time moves in a linear sequential fashion, right? First, yep. this, then yep. this, then this, then this, okay? Now, because our brains think this way, our actions and how we design society, design school, design work, mm-hmm. and design our phases of life, it's always first this, then this, then this, then this. School, job, marriage, kids, blah, 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 right? Very linear, okay? So- but because it's linear, it's it's geom it's arithmetic, right? Yes. One plus one plus one plus one plus one. Okay, that's yep. slow but steady. Yep. Now here comes the future, right? Climate change has done so much within just a few years. When scientists were predicting, oh, we won't get to this stage until twenty fifty, it's already here.
2: Exactly. So
0: much of stuff out of our well out of our individual controls and that's at an exponential pace right of the, the how much the planet is warming the amount of environmental destruction the amount all, all of this stuff the pace of digital innovation right now mm-hmm. you know in terms of quantum computing and all of these frontier technologies are just insane at the pace of which which they're they're, they're, they're accelerating and most people have no idea this is happening and therefore are going to be left behind if we don't train Our learners to learn for this changing future, right?
2: And I I, I fully agree with that. And let's not talk about, you know, the big ML and AI things only and stuff that people like, you know, the Singularity University, et cetera, is doing. But even if we take huge leaps and growths in things that touch all of us today, like Elon's, Tesla, and things like that, just a couple of years back, you still had a rich person having a Model S and uh, forget about its beginning. But just from... Two years ago to now, everywhere I look, you've got a Model Three, and uh, I think they just announced that they're ready for the AI driver to really, you know, kick in. And it's just about the policymakers now to decide whether to allow it or not. And they're expecting China and the Middle East to allow that first. But why am why I'm getting at that is even technology, as you just said, is moving on an exponential curve. So if you don't As a species, change our way of thinking, or at least accept that there is an exponential versus our linear way of thinking. Uh, Especially from an education and training point for our children, I think that is a big uh, issue.
0: Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, with checkers, it's one in front of the other. You capture the thing, and then you go, and then you it's one step in front of the other, right? So you can only see like you know one step, two steps ahead. With chess, you are forced not only to see several steps ahead. But various permutations. If I do this, this scenario happens. If I move it here, this scenario happens. Right? Yes. And that type of thinking we are being having to be forced into en masse because of the external challenges that we're being forced to face at a much faster and urgent pace. And yes. and so the the systems thinking, right? The scenario building, the being able to hold various permutations in your head. And, yep. and, and, and strategic foresight. Those are the critical skills of the future. And that you can't teach without training your brain in a different way. You can't teach a subject the way your brain is being trained
2: now. True. Uh, and let's just touch on one more point. I'm being conscious of time, but I think there's one very important piece uh, that is missing. And I somehow heard it from you last time when I, was, I just gave you a call to ask you to come on the show. Uh, And that's your take on what is the future of work or job. So let's not talk about the skill, but as a whole, where is humanity heading?
0: Thanks, Dev. That's a great question. So in a lot of lectures, I like to use this iceberg diagram to show where people, what they think they see versus beneath the water, the the, the full iceberg. Now, Mm -hmm. the tip of the ice, what most people see. They see, oh, the fourth industrial revolution. They see the future of work and they see, oh, this is where we need to be. We need to study these new skills. We need to do this, this, and prepare our youth for the workforce. Okay. That's surface mm-hmm. level. Now, what we've been talking about is how do you train your brain and learn how to learn these new skills, right? Yep. That is the next layer below, which is what we, is the perceived gap is the, the industry 4.0. But the real gap is the learning 4.0. Mm-hmm. Those are the gaps. And so those are the skills. So the future of work is dictated by the future of education and learning. Right. Can we transform yep. learning in order to prepare people to be in the future of work now in order to retrain our brains and we learn how to learn for this new future? Mm-hmm. We need to open our minds and that and open new ways of understanding and viewing the world which is not just a head exercise. That is a heart exercise. That mm-hmm. is a perception and a whole sensory exercise. And mm-hmm. that brings you to the next fundamental root layer, which is the, the real gaps of learning is actually the gaps of being 3.0. Right. And it's yep. And so that leads us to the future of living. How do we want to show up as human beings? Right. And how do we step fully into our own potential? We're not meant to be, you know, cogs in a machine doing Excel spreadsheets in the back room from nine to five, right? We have AI to do that now. And that's why AI is, if we we handle it right, has the potential to actually take over a lot of the stuff that human beings are not meant to do. The, The importance of AI will be to help us actually do the mundane stuff that we aren't meant to do in the first place to free up the heart space and the head space and the mind space for us to step into what makes us essentially more human and do more of the human things, which are our innate creativity, our genius, our uh, spirit. Right. And, and so that's, what's very exciting, but in order to allow ourselves the freedom to do that and to realize that is what we're actually meant to do, we have to fundamentally view ourselves, view each other and view the world and society from a completely new lens. And under, Definitely. and so that requires a whole transition from our current selves to our new selves, because it's a whole human transformation. And that is the future of living, the future of being. So do, know, be, work, learn, live.
2: Fantastic, Bian. And if I had to actually uh, say something that we are doing as well, uh, we are also working on an AI to provide our training through artificial intelligence. And I really love the way you've put it because our main reasoning for this also is to enable our training to go into war zones, for it to go into refugee camps, for it to go into spaces where trainers normally can't go. And we believe just watching videos doesn't cut it. You really need a trainer. But if I don't have to go really deep into it, it's coming back to the point that you just made. AI can do a lot of the stuff that human beings find difficult to do or shouldn't really have to do. And I think that's a very important point for us to accept this AI point of view. And I'm also aware that the Hungry Lab uh, and your team is working on a regenerative AI. Do you want to speak a bit about that on this episode?
0: Yes, it's a global effort. We are collaborating with, you know, individuals, thought leaders and change makers around the world on this effort, starting with thought leadership pieces like a white paper to explore the future of AI. You know, I, I've been quoted as saying a lot of times that the future of work is technology plus humanity, right? And mm-hmm. and, and so how do we leverage AI, when there's so much talk now about AI ethics and how do we leverage it to help us reimagine this better future, right? When we look at building resilience, resilience is not enough. It implies inherent acceptance of the status quo and the status quo got us into trouble in the first place, right? It's about regeneration and looking at mother nature, how mother nature is a regenerative, restorative ecosystem where everyone has a place and nothing is wasted. Yes. And the biggest tragedy right now that we have is wasted human potential. So how do we leverage AI to create a regenerative algorithm, if you will, that yes. can encapsulate the wisdom of Mother Nature, indigenous wisdom, a lot of the the the, the true universal principles, and yes. and, to, and to help guide our methodology and help guide our platform to 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 help. Even uh, better, develop the holistic pathway for the human being through life. Right. And so, and how do we do it in an ecosystems level where it has all the nodes, the hubs, and the spokes, and is able to optimize the dynamics and relationships between all of those various components? And so, that is essentially what we're building. And it's an open source effort. And we mm-hmm. are, would love to, you know, for everyone to reach out who's interested and, and because we're always looking for additional perspectives because it is a global effort and it takes a whole village, right? You, it takes a village to yes. raise a child and it takes a global village to, to raise a, a new way of, of being in the world. And, and so please join the hungry uh, sign up with your email and then we'll send you updates when available and, and send you invitations and, and, and to our various programs and events.
2: Yeah, so fantastic. And I think that was a very good sum up to that point, Bian. And if we had to just pick one direction from that to sort of close the show today, because we've, I think, just gone past our little bit of time slot that we had. Because, of course, we can both speak about this for hours and hours at end. So if you had to say for yourself as a futurist, where the world is going in the next five years, specifically in the human ability and upskilling and reskilling space, what would that be in a very short and succinct statement?
0: Personalization of your own education and learning experience. And that personalization is then going to transfer into how you want to make an impact, make a living and make a difference in the world. Everything is going to be hyper-customization.
2: Fantastic. So hyper-customization is uh, the last thing that we are going to take from you today. And I think that's a very big piece to take back with us because everybody that is listening and we at Ottomans Institute ourselves have to really, I think, consider this point because if you don't, the world is not really for generalization anymore. So thank you for that, Bian. Thank you for uh, your time. And I hope you enjoyed speaking to us today. And I hope we have many more of these interactions, both online and offline.
0: Thank you so much, Dave. I really enjoyed it. And I love talking about this, especially with folks like you and Ottomans, uh, who are doing great work around the world. And I look forward to future opportunities as well.
2: Thank you so much, Bian. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. But, my- so, if you really found this exciting, make sure you go to thehungrylab.com and do sign up for their newsletter.
1: Project OI believes the views presented in this podcast to be accurate and its sources reliable. However, Project OI does not guarantee the authenticity of any of the views of its guests or does not encourage the use or adoption of any ideas or views shared in this podcast. Listeners, or the public, should carry out their own research to test for validity and are responsible for their own actions which cannot be linked to this podcast episode or podcast series. We hope you enjoyed this episode and do look out for new episodes every fortnight on this channel. To find out more, visit oiedu.co.uk.